You're listening to the Class on Task podcast, created for educators. Your hosts, Ashley and Brian, will share tips, strategies, and resources related to behavior and education that can help you in your classroom. Thank you for joining us today on the Class on Task podcast. We love talking about behavior and we usually focus on students' behavior, but today we're gonna switch it up a bit and we're focusing more on teacher behavior. So we have a special guest today that will share how we as educators can change our behavior, become more unconventional and effective for our students. So our guest today is John Henthorne, also known as the unconventional teacher. So welcome, John, thank you for coming. Hey, Ashley, Brian, thank you so much for having me. This is this is a blast. We're right in the middle of our last week of school and <laughs> we have like this itch, you know, for the summer and all that stuff. So this is this is cool to come on your show. I've listened to a lot of your episodes and really appreciate what you guys are about. Oh, well, we really appreciate your time, too, especially the end of the school year. I know it's a little crazy right now, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I know I've heard a little bit of your story, but I know our listeners would love to hear what your story is and how you became not just a teacher, but an unconventional teacher. Sure. Well, you said the unconventional teacher, and I I always like to correct people because I am an unconventional teacher. I'm a language (laughs) teacher. And so I like I like differentiating between those articles because there are thousands and thousands and thousands, if not all teachers who try to do one, two, three or 500 things that are unconventional in the classroom. But my story kind of is unconventional as well in becoming a teacher. So I can give your listeners just a little window in. I have a podcast as well, and you can hear more of the story in my first episode. But some nuts and bolts that I think are interesting in my story is that I actually didn't know what I wanted to do in general a week before I was graduating from college. I was graduating with a Spanish and history degree and two abroads underneath my belt and a passion for helping people. So I knew I was going to help people but I didn't know in what field it was nonprofit or whatever. And I come from a, a family of teachers. And so I knew that that life was a valid one. It was an amazing one. It was, it was worthwhile, but I hadn't thought about myself as a teacher. I would sort of kept it an arm's length away. And then my Spanish teacher, one of my Spanish teachers in college said, there's an opening at, at, at the school associated with my college. And we were thinking about you as a perfect candidate. And I went home and my whole life just kind of said, wait a second, I didn't study to become a teacher. I haven't been in a classroom <laughs> and I panicked, but I think you tend to listen to those things because another person had written me an email saying, we'd like you to apply. So I applied, long story short, worked at a private school that I went to in high school. It was awesome, grew so much from those beginning years, had amazing students, some of which are friends right now. But I was a 22 year old teaching 18 year olds, you know, going through (laughs) basically like a crash course in how to be an educator. When I turned 25, two years in, somebody said, you should you should do national service. And they said, what's national service? I'm intrigued. And three people actually recommended a program called City Year, cityyear.org, if you want to check it out. 18 to 25 year olds put extra boots in the ground. And I know, Ashley, you worked in some schools with with some tougher situations socially and socioemotionally. And I worked in two schools in Boston. One was the third worst performing school in the state of Massachusetts. And mm-hmm. I think they had a devastating teacher attendance rate the previous there. And we don't even hear about teacher attendance, but yeah. everyone was saying that that the teachers weren't even showing up because they didn't feel wow. emotionally and physically safe. So we walk into those schools, we walk into those classrooms. And if I thought I had learned a lot in the two years in St. Louis at the private school, I what didn't even touch the surface. It was an absolute eye-opening, beautiful experience and saw that everyone is capable. We were able to move 
along with 16 other partners, like this was not just our organization, 16 other partners and like $3 million over three years, we were able to help that school go from 3% proficient to 43% proficient in math, which was awesome numbers as you know, you two are, are big into numbers. And, and it's just, you know, it's one thing, it's a test, but the school just picked itself up. They fired their kiln. I mean, it was, I, I always use the kiln as an example. Like they had a dance studio. This school was built for the community and it just had not been opened up yet. And now it's it's featured on all these features and stuff and give them a shout out. It's called Orchard Gardens Pilot School in Boston. And then I moved to Saint, San Jose and, and managed three teams as an educational manager and still yet yeah, no teaching credential. You know, I'm getting my <laughs> master's at that time and teaching, which is awesome. I knew I wanted to head back into the teaching, but I just I got I got obsessed with 12 hour days and they're at the schoolhouse at seven, leaving at seven after extended learning time. And then I just kind of putzed out like it, after so many years of doing 12 hour days, I just couldn't do it anymore. Plus, I was itching to get back in the classroom. I then emerged into project based learning. And I worked at one of the best performing schools in the Bay Area in California, just south of San Jose. And the charter school, Morgan Hill, changed my life as a teacher. They supported me, the teachers and parents and students. I just fell in love with teaching again. And then we moved to the Central Coast where we had now have two kids. My wife and I are both educators and I finally have my teaching credential. <laughs> you know, 10 years later, I've been teaching with my credential for a few years now. So uh, very much unconventional and love this profession as hard as it is, especially this year. And what are you teaching right now? So I'm teaching Spanish. I teach at high school level one and two. Possibly I'll pick up three, but I'm going to have to figure out how to clone myself because I, <laughs> my caseload is getting really, really big. And having such a deep passion for this class, my students tend to jump on board with me and uh, my class sizes are large and we just have a ton of fun. We kick away the desks and we can't do that right now because of COVID restrictions, but I'm hoping that we can get rid of our desks, which I know is a, a, a big deal for some people, mm -hmm. including students. So. Cool. Well, that's a really, really interesting story. I appreciate you telling us that. Definitely. Uh, it's a great tale, too, of kind of how life finds you, right? And the passions find you as, as part of that process and that journey. And it sounds like you totally embraced every opportunity along the way, which is great. Totally, Brian. You just have to listen to those people speaking around you. We often, as young people, 18 to 25, we think we know ourselves best, but we don't know ourselves at all. <laughs> our brain our brain is still developing at that time, but we're sort of on on this like life steroid that we we like know where we are, where we're going, and we're on this sort of life high. And I was definitely on a on a searching pattern and had some really amazing mentors say teaching would be great. And then national service and it just went from one thing to the next. And now I'm obsessed with project-based learning and throwing away textbooks and learning in a way that I think I would have loved to learn as a student. Engaged hands-on learning and and authentic learning, right? Like learning that actually has not that my my learning didn't have a a point, but it has a deeper point, has a deeper connection, a deeper authentic connection. Like we write stories for our, our bilingual students. We have a dual immersion program nearby where I live, and we write stories for those students in Spanish instead of just writing a children's story, right? So that's one example of where you can just add one new component, and now all of a sudden students are completely bought in because they're writing a children's story for an actual child. 
Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And I, I think that segue is nice into kind of some of our next points that we really are interested in hearing more about your experience with in, in terms of teaching. So, you know, a lot of teachers, they have a long list of either rules or ex expectations mm -hmm. a lot of times that they post in their classroom. And I've heard you only have one rule or expectation in your classroom. So what is that rule and, and how is that? Yeah classroom yeah that's a great question i well it's technically not true so like i have one rule that comes from me from my desk and it's respect yourself others and the and the space that we're learning in and that space is has a new definition as a virtual space right which has a whole different list of respecting actually being present and not abusing any of the technologies that we we're using this year but in a traditional setting i then present that that sort of rules that norm of respecting yourself, we extrapolate it a little bit, and then I have my students co-create with me, which is, I think, a pretty common common thing that that most most students do. I know in the upper grades, a lot of my peers don't set those norms formally or have their students set it with them, but that is something that I definitely do with my students. And then if there's anybody breaking a norm, you just point at this and said, "Hey, we all signed it," and it's it's a quick jump back to it. I think beyond the, that, I also have wonderful, wonderful students. I've always had wonderful students. And I think that I can say that regardless of somebody's situation or their behaviors that day, because I think everyone is inherently wonderful. Not many people wake up in the morning. I think this was on your, one of your podcasts recently. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, how am I going to do all these bad behaviors? Exactly. You know, like you're no, I don't think somebody does that, but people maybe don't have the skills to do what you're asking them to do. And so then they then they behave in certain ways. And I've found respect is, is something that we can hit a high school over the head with, and then they can become dumb to it, so to speak, or blind to it or deaf to it, whatever you want to, want to say. But I think it's modeled 100% for me. I just deeply respect my classroom and my content and having a one and three-year-old at home right now and then teaching in the pandemic, it's just been, been mayhem through teething and crying in the other room. You've seen some of the memes probably uh, of like, you know, people on the Zoom and then you hear what's in the background. That was me. And, and it was just painstaking. But at the same time, I got to get up and go give them hugs and kisses and play with them during asynchronous learning when I had things together and the, and the students were working on things. So the, the gems and the learnings and stuff from this year has been awesome. Yeah, I'm just not a, a big rule guy. I think I think rules come from a lack of relationship sometimes. And I think they come from the top down. So I present my rule and then I and then I grassroots it with my students and we co-create it. And I think we have a, a lot more fun and a lot more success with them. Yeah, I, I think that's a huge point of kind of like that co-creation aspect of it, because mm -hmm. it really allows you to foster a community and build those relationships, which you kind of just hit upon there as well. And really taking the time to build rapport and get to know the students and have them become invested yeah. as part of it is, is huge, right? Yeah. Their success and the success of the community that you're building. So that's great. It's great, great advice. So I have another question for you. You kind of mentioned sure. something before in your intro about how you want to get rid of the desk. So I've heard this is another unconventional thing that you may do. Mm -hmm. So if we walk in your classroom, what does the seating arrangement look like? Oh my gosh, I, I have so much respect for the people that first did this because when I came back from a conference, it's like this epic story of me changing about four years ago 
And it's where I sort of donned myself as an unconventional teacher. I, I broke myself away from the ball and chain that is I need to be on page 212 by you know May or whatever and covering this by that time and staying in lockstep with the district uh, other teachers so that if one student moves from one class to another on that rare occasion, they'll be able to do that. And all those sort of comments are in the back of your head because you hear that from a lot of people. And I came back from that conference and three things came from it. The one is, is speak Spanish as much as possible at, an, at a comprehensible level, give them as much input as possible. It's like a baby, right? Babies don't end up speaking until one, maybe, maybe later, but they're taking in so much. My little one-year-old mm -hmm. understands everything that we're saying. So as much comprehensible input as possible, and then a password game. My students have to say a password before they enter into my classroom. And it's a it's a high frequency phrase in Spanish where they can create language with it, which is really neat. And then three is a deskless classroom. And this is a trend I think now that's pretty common in a lot of classrooms, at least alternative seating is really common, but getting rid of the desk for a high schooler all of a sudden creates a vulnerability, which high schoolers are not very comfortable with. They, <laughs> they don't like it initially. Like, what uh -huh. am I doing? I don't have anything to lean on. You know, I can't put my head down. It's very, mm -hmm. very unconventional for them. But after about a month, you have your couple students. I offer a desk in the back if they absolutely need one. So I have a couple students sitting in the in on on their desk because they absolutely need it. But the other folks have drank the Kool Aid. They're sitting there. <laughs> we're communicating. You can. We have rolly chairs, so we're rolling around. We're communicating in a in a typical classroom, and that's been so painstaking. Not to get too negative, but I <laughs> I hate I hate that I can't do that this year. You know, like we can do a breakout room and we can send them into. We use Google Meet and do breakout rooms and stuff, but it. It's just not the same. It's not this organic moving of chairs, have a quick conversation, get up and, you know, do sticky notes on the back and try and guess who each other mm -hmm. is using questions in Spanish. Those types of fun games that are common in Spanish classrooms or French or world language classrooms, really any classroom. But yeah, no, no desks. And it was amazing what that did for my classroom. It automatically opened up all these opportunities for actual language use and actual community building. Plus, it's just logistically easier. You don't have to move desks around on a teacher end th of things. But behaviors all of a sudden went away. Like, it's really hard to have a phone out without a desk. <laughs> uh, and so like the whole high school phone thing is gone. Not really gone. You know, you you get the backpack. Yeah. I haven't put their backpacks on the desk. So like we use desks for backpack space. And they come, we're a one-to-one -one tech school, as a lot of schools are across the nation now. They don't come with their, their computer unless we need it. So that's another kind of unconventional thing. I, I, I tend to leave on a, on a typical year textbooks and, and I create everything, but we try to create all this language opportunity that doesn't need a, a phone, that doesn't need a computer, that doesn't need a desk. And it's just, I think, a little bit more authentic and fun. So, yeah, that sounds like it. I didn't yeah. even think about the cell phone aspect either. Right. I was yeah, thinking, you don't. Because I've seen like the, you know, the unconventional seating in elementary schools sure. where yeah. the students get to sit in a crate or they get to sit in the floor and with yeah. hoop and, you know, fun different things like that. But I even think about it being high school students walking in going like, what? You're changing up my comfort zone? What are you doing? Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> so that yeah. would be kind of cool. Yeah. I like that you mentioned something too about, I think it was like page 212 yes. in the textbook. And just a quick story on my end, when I first started teaching and I feel like in college, like we just learned, okay, this is how you teach science. This is how you teach math. And it was kind of mm -hmm. cookie cutter. And then I started my internship and my first internship, the teacher lived by the book and mm -hmm. every day it was this 
certain page. We went through the lesson, went through the same questions and that was it. Right. Right. And then the second internship I took, I was so fortunate to have this amazing teacher who was just very innovative, did a lot of project-based learning, did a lot of centers, a lot of interactive things. Mm -hmm. And I remember him telling me, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not doing page, you know, 513 in the math book because that's not how I'm teaching my kids right now. Like they're going right. to learn, but it's not exactly that same page that every other first grade teacher is on. And our right. admin was not too happy about that. Yeah, um, totally. But he had some of the highest scores and I was just so fortunate for that experience because I feel like a lot of teachers coming into teaching, they are going based on what other people are doing. And I think it's so important what your message is, it's kind of going out and venturing and being creative and being a little mm -hmm. unconventional. So that's, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, I was on a podcast called, Hey, I want your job. And, and Michelle who runs that podcast, you should go check that out as well. She's like, what do you do with parents? You know, like they come in and like, you're not giving them a homework assignment and a worksheet to go practice preterite verbs. I'm like, well, I still give preterite practice. They still go and conjugate. And I, I didn't do total jump ship. I still have like 10 to 15 minute grammar conversations. I do workshops with students who didn't get it the first time. And a lot of a lot of world language teachers are like, get rid of all of it and totally go <laughs> comprehensive. And, and I think that's also unconventional is that there are ways to do things and there are many ways to do things well when it comes to teaching. And I think if there are educators searching or just seasoned professionals that are seeking to change something, just continue to keep it authentic to you. And then I think when somebody questions what you're doing, like, why are there no desks? Then you can give them four or five awesome examples. Or why are you not on page 212 right now? Well, let me tell you that 212 includes this conversation. We already did that. We already, we already conversed about that. And my students have already shown that they know that standard. And I think if you have those types of reactions to questions, that's really good. And then also preemptive conversations are really important, right? So with your admin and with your teachers and with fellow teachers, because they'll want to know too, like what, what's happening in Hinthorne's classroom? That's, <laughs> wait, you don't do any desks? Like, how does that look? And they're going to be a little bit squirrely because you're breaking the mold. And I, you know, I tend to eat vegetarian a lot of the times, although my two sons are loving meat. So we're eating more and more meat these days. Mm -hmm. But when I was eating vegetarian, I just found that my, my simple not eating meat was this like inadvertent attack on my parents when I went home. They were like, well, <laughs> I like, you know, they always felt this like, need to justify things. And, and my whole hope in education is that we can operate to the best of our ability. Almost every teacher absolutely is head over heels for their job and for the opportunity to work with their students. They have a deep passion for their content and their students, like everyone I talk to on my show and I listen to on your show and other places. So that's not the issue. It's whether or not we can be open about it and be confident about it and ask questions. And I'll, I'll give this one little quick story. When I got rid of desks and came back and did a lot more total physical response type stuff and get up and move, all that sort of thing. I, I asked one of my colleagues, I said, hey, can you come observe me a couple of times? And he just sat in the back of the room and he gave me real life feedback on what was going on. I also asked my students, how's this working? What works, what doesn't work? I did it with my Spanish three students, like juniors and seniors, and they gave me really great feedback and said, it works, it's great, do it. But I would tweak this and this and this. And I, and I just think that that's really important for us to stay vulnerable as teachers. So I think, I think it's really important that you can keep your door open as a teacher, like actually open and figuratively open. And it's hard because it takes a vulnerability and people judge 
teachers a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, you know, I've had teachers, I've gone through school and so it has to be this way or I learned to be a textbook and it was fine. Why aren't you doing it? Or I, I learned through homework and you need to give homework too. Those conversations are kind of quelling a little bit, but they're still out there and just be confident and authentic. This is kind of the message that I'm telling myself over and over again through these tough times. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And I mean, you know, especially to kind of those conventional ways of teaching of using textbooks and worksheets and stuff. I I know a lot of times, even in preparation programs for future teachers, you kind of still Mm -hmm. have some of those conventional ways being modeled. But I love your kind of take home message there, too, of what I'm gathering from it, listening to you, the fact that it's okay to break away from that. It will cause some anxiety, probably that piece of it. You know, and obviously you, you do different different things in your classroom that are a bit more unconventional. So what are some ways you can offer some our listeners some ways that they may change the way they teach to help engage your students more? You kind of alluded to some strategies that you use already, but are there any other types of tips that you would uh, want to offer listeners? Yeah. I mean, I, as much as I believe in structure and I have the password to enter, enter into my classroom and I have a couple of structures in my classroom that, that are the same every day, I actually don't believe in that as much. I believe in keeping my students on their toes and they really like it. So no day, and, and you can't quote me on this because I'm sure there's been days that have been the same, but I try to make no day the same. And I think when you do that and you have a clear objective and clear agenda, then your students will not fall into that trap of sitting, opening the textbook and then becoming, again, blinder or uh, deaf to, to the content. The other thing, like, I don't know what the what the facts are behind it, but because it's been a long time, maybe you two know it. But the amount of learning loss just by exiting your classroom is staggering. Like just getting up and leaving your classroom, your students have have lost half of what you just talked about that day, developmentally and, and different things. And then by the end of the year, you calculate it, and they have they they probably remember with help with scaffolds ten percent, fifteen percent. So you know, and then we have the internet that would give them answers, especially in my content, in in a matter of milliseconds. So if if that's the case then our objectives, and at least my objectives, have completely shifted. And it's now an experience with the language. It's now a way, like I engage my students through experiential learning. So we we use Senior Woolley videos. And if you don't know Senior Woolley, he's this incredible teacher who said, I'm tired of the textbook. I want to make music videos. He was a musician and a theater guy, and he's just super charismatic. Everyone loves him. And now I think like thousands of Spanish teachers and French teachers around the world use his videos because they're engaging. And um, so we watch Senor Wooly videos, music videos, and we read graphic novels. I have a library of like $600 worth of uh, books that are at their level and engagement level. So we read every Monday when we have 30 minute classes. Just try it. That's, that's one thing that is the same every week. I don't know. It keeps me on my toes too, to not do the same thing every day and the same thing every year. I teach the same content. I have some projects that are the same because they're awesome. They're super fun and engaging, but I don't know. Maybe that'll change in 10 years. In my last last 10 years, you know, I have 20 something odd years left until I'm planning to retire. Maybe it'll change, but right now I love it. And my students are, for the most part, really engaged. That's awesome. And you can definitely tell like how much you care about your students. And it's evident that you are passionate about teaching. I know from teaching personally, and I know Brian too, there's definitely some negative aspects of teaching mm-hmm. and I feel like teachers kind of go in this like rabbit hole of like venting and going yeah. on and on about all the negative stuff, like, you know, the pay or standardized testing, all of that. Sure. 
what suggestions do you have for teachers who may get stuck on those like negative topics? Oh my gosh. One of my favorite people in the whole wide world, actually the guy who hired me first, he was a family friend. He became my boss. Um, He was, he was our admin. We were having a big issue. Uh, It was a political issue. My first year of teaching, I'm this 22 year old. I had no idea what was going on. I forget even what it was about. Oh, actually, I remember it was it was shifting to understanding by design, UBD, where you establish your assessment at the end or at the beginning and then try to figure out how to get there. Right. And begin with the end in mind type stuff. And, and there was this giant resistance to doing it, you know, and I was sitting there talking to him and I said, hey, I want to try and do it. And and I just asked him, I said, hey, I'm new to the profession. Why? Why is it that there's so much resistance to this? You know, and and I'm a little bit more okay with change than the average person still, but I think change has to come at the right time with the right motive. And and he, he looks at me and he says, you know what? We failed in a schoolhouse as soon as it becomes about the adults and not about the students. Mm-hmm. And so all of these discussions that you talked about, Ashley, the standardized testing, the teacher pay, any other difficult topics. They're all about the teacher. They're all about the adults in the building. And I think it's the temptation to get stuck away from our purpose of being here. And it's to help parents and and caregivers make sure that our youth are ready to be an adult, right? Like, isn't that the point of school? So that they can go on and do whatever they, they are wanting to do. Most think college is a next step, although that's shifting as well to vocational practices and such. And the more people we have, the more we have to educate. It gets very sticky, which means we need more teachers, which means we need more money for our system. And it's really stressed. So those are negative aspects, but I understand them because there's a limited amount of money that state and federal provides, allocates to to teaching. Do I want to, you know, I can make political statements like I'd love for our budget in education to be the same as our defense budget. You know, that'd be amazing because teachers get to get paid six figures, which is what I think they should get paid. At the same time, we're stretching a 10 month salary over 12 months and I can live on the central coast with my family of four, barely, but be fine. Mm -hmm. And I think that that also needs to be said as well. I have a lot of education. I'm able to pay my student loans. I'm able to, to take care of my family. We can't buy a house on the central coast of California, but that's another conversation. But I, th- I think we need to have a balanced discussion and, and not just do that. Well, at the same time, there's a lot of states that are not paying their teachers much more than minimum wage. And that's a catastrophe because they have the same amount of education that I do. So like some sort of national benchmark of, of <laughs> like a teacher cannot make lower than this, yeah. you know, <laughs> 40,000 or whatever, like whatever the lower end of things, because I know standard of living is different in California than it it might be in Arkansas or Mississippi, but it's not that much different. You know, like I have family that live in those two places and, you know, you might be able to buy a a house, but still a hamburger out still costs 10 to 15 bucks at at a restaurant. So I really think that we can't get stuck in summation with these conversations. So I'm actually not even addressing your conversation because I want I want your listeners if I could tell them anything to Mm -hmm. take back to their table like have the conversation make sure that you're being treated fairly right like if any of those things are not happening fight 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 the good fight but remember that this is about the students and the and the parents and and make it always about them yeah and I, I that's that's so 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 good and true. I feel like that's a lot of reason why we get into this field to, to begin with is because we want to sure. help the students. So I think that's a really good reminder for all of us to remember in those difficult situations. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that 
is a really true point of you can never lose sight of that, right? Because as soon as you start to lose sight of the student, or even like you had mentioned, Ashley, of you know what was the main reason that we got into this field to begin with, then we're right. just setting everyone's up for failure essentially mm -hmm. as part of it. And you know, John, you have a, a lot of great experience where you've taught across several states, and you had to learn to adjust to new schools, new mm -hmm. administrators, different environments. And as some of our listeners may be looking to either start fresh in a new school, or maybe they're going to move to another state, or even if they're staying where they are, they may be switching grades. And we know that there's a lot of excitement potentially behind that, but also some mm -hmm. level of anxiety. So mm -hmm. what types of tips would you provide for those teachers who may be looking to make that transition? Totally. I have a lot of experience in shifting and transitioning. It's never easy. I'll be really honest, Brian. There's a lot of anxieties. There's a lot of, I'll just start with an honest response. There's a lot of, a lot of struggle that comes with change and you're a new fish in a new water and, and that's hard. Emerge gently is my kind of motto. And especially if you have a strong personality and I tend to be a, a North, like a go-getter, a, a get things done type person. And, and I have to become a lot more South. If any of your listeners know that the leadership compass and South would be associated with empathy and relationships. And so I, I spend my first year to not that I'm not still doing it in my fourth year in my current place, but I'm establishing relationships and getting to know the culture and the people that are there before me, because my gosh, it's presumptuous to think that you can change things in like the first year new admin. Most of the admin that I've had have just been beautiful humans and to go into a job knowing that it's an impossible job. I have so much respect for administrators. It's just so hard. You have to have the hardest conversations with teachers and parents and students all the time. And while at the same time, make sure that great learning is going on. It's just so hard. The learning environments, I think, is more your choice. I think there's, and especially now, there's a lot of teaching positions that are coming up as open. And I think people are going to choose their environment a little bit more, I don't know, strategically, maybe. I know my wife and I have, we've been really strategic in the types of schools that we, and we've been blessed to do that because sometimes it's not easy to find a job, but we've always been able to get a job at schools that mirror what we're about as educators. And, and I think in terms of switching grades, uh, a lot of the times in my experience, it hasn't been the teacher's choice. It's been more of the admin shuffle of, of teachers. So for instance, my brother is a new teacher. He's in year two right now. And he started in fifth grade. And then three weeks or two weeks before, they said, by the way, you're going to be teaching first grade, which if you know anything about first grade is possibly <laughs> the most important year ever because you're doing a lot of the reading, reading uh, formation. But he did it. And, he, you know, you just have to be flexible. You have to put away some of the some of the disagreements. You have to ask questions and build relationships. And then I think we can do anything together. If we have those, it's like my norms and rules conversation. If you have that deep, profound respect, you can get through disagreements in a civil way. Yeah, I, I think that's that's so true too. It's like listeners know that I also teach and train future educators. And yeah. I tell them like, take, take the time to learn to navigate those waters, be more of an active listener in the community mm -hmm. that you're in and be strategic about the conversations that you that you need to have. But I was to stay true to who you are, right? As a- For sure. Yeah, I have a leg up because my wife grew up in the town that I'm teaching in. We got married here too, so which is a trip that we ended up we ended up kind of coming coming home, so to speak, and and so I have have a little bit of a leg up because I, I like communities are really insular as well. Like even New York City has its little microcosms and its you know subcultures and then sub subcultures, and I think 
I think that's a beautiful thing. I think that's what makes our country so heterogeneous, you know, so like a salad with all those metaphors, you know, a chopped salad sort of thing. And it's just such a beautiful thing that you can get into that culture and, and that they welcome you, you know, and if they don't, you have to do some soul searching because I think I think it's usually on you. Like there was something that you didn't do or relationships that you didn't build or reaching out or going to sporting events and talking with parents and this is kind of a funny thing. I don't, I don't know if you, Brian and Ashley, find this to be true, but I find that a lot of teachers are actually introverted. And I, and I, bring, I bring a lot of, maybe it's just me being an ambivert. I'm like 50-50. I can turn it on with the podcast game and teaching. And then I like my cat on my couch and don't talk to me. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to video, movies by myself, you know, type of thing. But so like I can, I also married a, 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 an introvert so I can see them from a mile away. But I found I found that a lot of teachers are introverted and it's ironic, right? Because we're on the stage performing all the time to try to facilitate learning and, and skill growth. But I think if that's true, then you can operate in a, in a different way if you, if you can understand that a lot of a lot of teachers are quiet. I want to give a plug out to Susan uh, Kane's book, Quiet. That's also an awesome podcast and uh, for teachers and parents and great book. And it, it's the power of the introvert. And if you haven't read it, it changed my thought around a student who's sitting there listening, acing your tests and and doing great on your project, but you don't hear from them. And it's so mm -hmm. agonizing, you know, antagonizing <laughs> rather as a language yeah. teacher, because you're like, please practice the language. <laughs> um, but they're listening and they're, and they're actually probably some of the most, some of the more powerful learners and investing in your classroom in ways that you're like, wow, that's that's amazing. You're picking up that level of detail. So thinking about the strengths of students that are are introverted and teachers that are introverted and including them in the discussion, I think is a really powerful thing as you emerge into a new setting. Yeah, yeah. I have not heard of that resource. So thank you so much for sharing that. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Um, another plug here, I'll plug in your podcast. So John <laughs> is a host of An Unconventional Teacher. You interview a lot of amazing educators. So I'm just yeah. out of curiosity of all of your interviews you've done so far. Are there any common traits you see across the different teachers you're interviewing? Yeah, I think I'm almost two months away from my last episode, see episode 20, season one. It's been such a wild ride. I think that I am seeing definitely that when I ask the question, what inspires you to teach? It's always, it's always this profound love of their students. It's never did, did somebody say, I really like teaching math, you know, or I really love teaching science. That's probably true. But these incredible educators, like you said, and, and I know you've gotten a chance to listen to are Call, like Jamia Drummond Bay, she calls herself the world teacher. She has three yeah. TED Talks. Like, you know, you reach out to these humans and say, I'm a fellow educator. I'd love to have you on the show. And, mm -hmm. and they generally say yes. And, and then you get to learn from them for 30 minutes to an hour during their interview and then edit it over and over again. I just feel like this has been the best PD ever. I've actually mm -hmm. gotten to call my podcast, my PD, my personal PD this mm -hmm. year. And the common trait is a profound love and appreciation of their students. Like at a deep, deep connective level. That's funny. Um, so if I had to pick one thing, that's what I would pick yeah. from the different yes. ones I've listened to. Like I, it's what teachers say. Yes. And I've literally yes. gotten chills, like listening to some, some of your interviewers talk. I'm like, oh, that's so, so amazing. So oh my amazing. gosh. I love the yeah, stories. I <laughs> love the stories. I started out because I've never done a podcast. I started out this podcast. It's kind of funny because 
you know, some people are doing podcasts to help their business or they're doing podcasts to help their brand or to, you know, do different things. And teachers are doing podcasts for many different reasons. Mine was because I had my students do a podcast for a project and I had never done a podcast before. <laughs> and they were asking me questions like, what website do I go to? And, you know, does it matter the microphones? And they, they were asking me all these technical questions and I had no idea. So I landed on um, Anchor which is a really awesome way to make podcasts. There's different, different ones. And this isn't, I, that's what I use. Uh, and it's awesome. It's free. And they were all making anchor podcasts and they were, sounded really good because I had modeled that with them. And, and it was this by definition, project-based learning it was authentic. I was doing it with them alongside with them. Mine was not about the same topic as them. I did it on my own unconventional nature of the teacher. And then somebody said, Hey, you should go interview other teachers that think and act similar to you. And mm -hmm. I just reached out to my college friends and my previous peers that I looked up to, that I was in their room asking them questions. And people like Micah, he's my first interview. I went to college with him and my wife said, you should interview Micah. I'm like, I haven't thought about Micah in so long. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and now we're texting, you know, often and, and, and great friends. And the list goes on and on. I actually interviewed my nephew. It's his birthday today, June 2nd. I interviewed Dresden's teacher, who till this day, that interview, some of the things that Mary Corti says in that podcast, I still think about. She hasn't given a grade in 28 something years. Wow. She like, she didn't own a cell phone before our current situation like this. This lady is by definition, probably one of the best educators ever. So effective. And then all of a sudden COVID hit and she has to teach using <laughs> um, a computer. And of course she did it well and super, super successfully. But I got a chance to talk with them. I got a chance to talk with teachers of the year. I pulled up the list of teachers of the year for last year and this year. And I just sent them cold emails saying, hey, I'm doing this. And they said, yeah, sure, I'll come on your show. People like Lynn Stant, who's the first Native American woman to earn the teacher of the year for the state of Arizona. I got a chance to interview her. And I just, what an honor. Mm -hmm. You know, it's an absolute honor for me to gain these perspectives outside of my, my own living situation. And I think that's why season two is exciting for me, although it's a ton of work, you know, editing and, and putting it out there and, and making sure that the right folks and, and, and as many folks can listen to it as possible. I kind of shifted to now if one person's listening to it, it's worth it. And it's more of my journey. And it's selfishly, I get to talk to these amazing people. And then I get to network to people like yourself and Brian. And it's just, it's an honor. Like it is so humbling to share what my mentors have taught me now with a stage that's much, much larger than any stage that I could have thought of. So oh, season two will be, oh my gosh, September. I mean, it's kind of fun because I can decide, you know, it's this whole podcast. Uh, <laughs> I can decide. But if you want to know, know more, go check us out where podcasts are. And then our website we work hard on, uh, my sister and I work on that called an unconventional teacher.com. Not the unconventional teacher.com no. <laughs> and unconventional teacher.com. Yeah. Any other places that you would like uh, for listeners to connect with you or follow your journey? I'm an open book. You can find me on LinkedIn. And the more people that I can associate with, I think benefits my students, me as an educator, me as a human. And now that I'm raising two humans with my wife, it's including, I'm including them. So <laughs> I, I'm not a big reader. I, I have undiagnosed dyslexia. So 
reading for me and getting degrees took 10 times longer than than the average person. So like for me to read a book like Quiet and talk about it is like a big deal. But I just I come in and, and chat with me. I'm on Instagram. I did the TikTok thing for a little bit. And then I kind of got weirded <laughs> out on it because you can't really deal with privacy settings the same way. And my students and parents were saying they were finding me. And but that was a cool community I was a part of. But Instagram is a little bit more secure and, and posting whatever I can there. You can just email me at an unconventional teacher at gmail.com. I'd love to chat with you. Excellent. And for all of our listeners, we'll have all those links and ways to be able to contact John in the notes for this episode. And John, I have to say, it's been a pleasure having you on our podcast. Your energy and passion is contagious. Totally made a crazy day that I was having even more (laughs) conversation with you. Ashley and I totally appreciate you taking the time out of your day and teaching to be able to speak with us and our listeners. Thank you so much for having me on, Brian and Ashley. Yeah, I'll continue being a listener on your show and the work you're doing to help teachers in particular with education on the behavior end of things is is awesome. And I can't wait to see what you two continue to work on. Thank you so much, John. We appreciate it. (laughs) Yeah, take care. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. If you found value in this show, please leave a rating or share it with a friend. Resources mentioned during this episode and links to our social media pages can be found in our show notes. If you want to learn more about how Class on Task can make a difference in your classroom or school, check out our website, classontask.com. Thank you so much for joining us today and see you next time.